0: Good morning church family. I want to thank uh, Kyle and Macy Tanner for leading us in worship again and what a blessing it is the, the inspiring uh, worship that, that uh, they bring each week and I know that God is using that in each one of our lives and I'm thankful for the opportunity to, uh, to be able to preach and, and to speak uh, to you who are tuning in uh, through the NBC Temple YouTube channel. And uh, what a blessing that is. So thank you for tuning in. And uh, today we're going to be in uh, James chapter 5. And if you have your scripture and want to go ahead and open up to that, uh, we'll get there in just a little bit. You know, I want to ask the question, would you like to be rich? You know, very few people would probably say, nah, it doesn't matter much to me. I'm not interested. Uh, one wise guy said, you know, they, they say it's better to be poor and happy than to be rich and miserable. But couldn't something be worked out such as being moderately wealthy and just a little bit moody? <laughs> you know, as Christians, we know that the Bible has many warnings about the dangers of pursuing wealth. And so I, I want to I share a couple of verses with you. Uh, one is out of First Timothy. We're going to be in James chapter 5, but 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says this. It says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, most of us read that and we think, well, I could handle it. I am no big deal. Or maybe, at least I'd like to try. (laughs) It seems as if more money would solve a whole lot of our our problems. But often we forget that wealth can create a lot of problems on its own. I mean, people concentrate their energies on things they cannot keep. They run after possessions which they have to give up because the, the grave shroud has no pockets. We have a phrase, you know, you can't take it with you. Recently, I heard a revision of that. It went like this. You can't take it with you, uh, but we can take it with us. And um, I I think that gives voice to uh, those people who have maybe given through their estate planning to our church that have been a tremendous blessing to to us. I mean, we can take it with us. And so uh, they're laying it on ahead, laying up treasures in heaven. What a blessing that has been to our church family, and we're thankful for that. You know, in chapter 5, Pastor James, he answers the question, how should we live in these last days? Um, And really, what does God want for our lives? You know, over and over, the Bible says that the way you use your money is an indicator of who you really are. Not just the money, but the way that you give to the church and to charitable organizations. But the way you use all your money and your possessions speaks of who you really are. See, God's concern is not with actual wealth, but with our attitude toward wealth and our wrong priorities with wealth. Before you're quick to excuse yourself as not being among the rich... Let me ask you to think about this in three ways. Let's think about it historically. Let's think about it globally. Let's think about it personally. I mean, historically, it is simply a fact that we live in the wealthiest nation in the world. And we live in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. And we are the wealthiest Christians in the history of the world. That puts us, no matter what your income is, in this congregation, you're still among the wealthiest Christians to have ever walked this planet. You are rich by comparison. Think globally as well. Amongst the Christians who live on this planet right now, you are without question the wealthiest Christians on this planet. And, of course, we are the country that is giving the most in regards to missions around the world because our Christians have more than others. I might also add that our Christians don't give proportionally more than others. We give only absolutely more than others. But that's another story for another time. We are the wealthiest Christians in the world. Think about what you have in comparison to your parents, to your grandparents and your great-grandparents. See, James's words are not for somebody else. They're for us. So let's not excuse ourselves. By the way, you know we are in a, a budget cycle right now uh, for next year and beyond. And we tend to be studying and analyzing and inspecting everything when it comes to the church budget or, let's say, personnel salaries, for example. I mean, we kind of live in a fishbowl where everybody knows what we make. It's all scrutinized by the entire church. But then we tend to allow our own portion of the budget to go unscrutinized i'm talking about the part that we give we we want to scrutinize what we spend but we also need to be just as discerning and, and and under the microscope with what we are giving because each and every one of us has a part in that budget we need to understand that i mean i have a great idea what do you say we post all of our giving records for everyone to see? It would be just the way, the, the way we scrutinize our budget. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But it would be telling, would it not? I mean, we can look at our own home inventory itself to reveal our worldly wealth. Wealth. You know Randy Alcorn says this he says God prospers me not to raise my standard of living but to raise my standard of giving God gives us more money than we need so that we can give generously See James kind of kicks into Old Testament prophet mode as he denounces the very callous rich those who are just hard-hearted and cold-hearted and and and, and just Consume on themselves all of the, the the blessings they've been given. He warns the rich and he encourages the poor, and he's addressing people who are rich physically but are spiritually destitute. They've not they're they're not believers. They're just rich people who walk on others and oppress others. And really, that's who he's talking to in our passage today. Let's read our passage, James chapter five, beginning in verse one. Pastor James writes this, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have been moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, The pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and you put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you Loving Father I I pray that these words would sink deeply into our hearts I pray Father that you would challenge us and that you would guide us to an appropriate level of giving Father that we would understand that your word is for us and Father that it would challenge us today Holy Spirit I ask that you would examine our hearts Show us where we fall short. Convict our hearts. Guide us in Jesus' name as we pray. Amen. See, James reminds us of the insecurity of wealth here. He says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. You know Chuck Swindoll he he talks about this passage the passage before it when in verse 13 in in chapter 4 James says come now you who say and he he says James spoke about individuals who planned as if there was no god and he said this group they spent as if there was no god See this should reserve this should um serve as a reminder that there are proverbial skeletons in the closet of everyone. Everyone has these skeletons because we are fallen, fallible creatures. The blood of Jesus Christ, he cleanses us from all sin, but it does not keep us from failing in this life. You know, when you look at the 11 disciples of our Lord, you find men of faith, but you also find and and, and see men who continue to fail. Both Peter and Barnabas failed regarding Gentile Christians and giving to the in to the influence of the Judaizers. And so it was necessary for Paul, a fellow believer, to rebuke them. Galatians chapter 2. The patriarchs, think about them. They failed. Noah, Moses, Abraham, men of faith, they do fail. This is why we find such comfort in the teaching in the book of Hebrews, regarding our high priestly role of our Lord Jesus, who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses and come to our aid and give us mercy and grace in our time of need. See, living by faith means trusting God when we fail, knowing that only our great high priest has lived a perfect human existence. James tells us here, that we should be careful not to hoard wealth. These rich people, they had so much stuff that it was literally rotting in storage. What good are silos full of grain if when you go to get some, it's spoiled or it's filled with mold? What good are 10 changes of clothes if you go to get something out of the closet and it's been eaten by moths? What good is a bank vault full of jewels if you're afraid to wear them for fear of being robbed? See, the the Bible commands us, yes, to provide for our families and for our own needs, but it condemns hoarding our money and our possessions when it can be used to further the Lord's work or to help someone in need. So where that balance balance point is, I can't tell you. But I will say that not many of us here in America live on the lean side. Often behind our hoarding is either the sin of greed or a lack of trust in God, unbelief, to provide for our future needs. So I caution you this morning, listen, don't Spend your life collecting junk that you will never use or need. Give it away. Give it away. Be a blessing to someone. Just give it away. Notice also James talks about, in verse 4, the cries of those who have been cheated. See, these rich people were withholding the pay of their laborers. And the Bible strongly condemns the evil of withholding pay for those who work hard for it. And the Bible even connects it with robbery. See, according to James, the pay that they withheld, not the workers, but the pay itself cries out against them. See, the cry of the oppressed has reached the ears of none other than the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. But notice the the corrupting power of plenty. Verse 5 says, You have lived luxuriously on the earth, and you've led a life of wanton pleasure. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. See, I call this section plush living and painful punishment. What it is, is they're engaging in fleshly self-indulgence. The word James use, uses here for living in luxury literally means to break down. And it almost suggests that the idea of someone, you know, passively letting themselves go in the process, they're living with, with such a loose grip that, that they're letting themselves go. It's as if they don't understand that the, the good life is really bad for them. You know, you've seen someone who kind of lets themselves go and you're like, man, they're just really letting themselves go and they don't even recognize that it's to their detriment. And that's what he's saying. They've, they're have they living luxuriously and, and it's breaking them down. He also uses a word that describes, describes them as actively giving themselves over to self-indulgent and sinful pleasures. When he talks about living luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure it's as if the goods of the world and the people on it were made only for the gratification of these people that everything that we see every the people that we see the stuff that we see is just for us to consume on our lusts and that's what he's that's what he's attacking here and in their pursuit of their own pleasure They'll ignore the needs of other people. They'll use everything for their own selfish focus. And they're openly oppressing other people in the the fact of the matter. Notice how tragically ironic their self-indulgence will end. They fatten their own hearts in a day of slaughter. Just like hogs going to the butcher shop, or maybe turkeys right before Thanksgiving. They're fattening them up. And so what they're doing is they're just saying, give them all the grain they want. And that's what these rich people are doing. They're living like that. They don't even understand that their day of slaughter is upon them. I think this is huge. I mean... Paul talks about this kind of over in Romans 2, verse 5 and 6. He says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. See, James kind of sounds like an Old Testament prophet here, doesn't he? Come now, you rich, weep. And how for your miseries which are coming upon you. Lastly, I want to talk about the certainty of judgment. They were being unjust and oppressive to the righteous. Notice verse 6. It says, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. This is both a general statement of the oppressiveness of the ungodly and the most indicting witness against their behavior. Notice that they condemn the righteous man. This may have reference to the fact that they were dragging believers off to the courts of law. They're condemning them. But notice also that he says, put to death the righteous man. They've murdered the righteous man. And take note of James's condemnation to the rich for this. It's in the way that the righteous man responds to this treatment. James says, he does not resist you. These persecuted, righteous believers faithfully followed the instructions of Jesus. This, the instructions of Jesus in, in Matthew 5, where he says, Don't resist an evil person. If he slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. If he takes you to court and sues you for your shirt, give him your coat also. If he forces you to walk a mile, go with him too. He says, don't resist an evil person. That's what they were doing. James says, he does not resist you. See, we would all do well to remember and to follow Jesus' instruction in Luke 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. I mean, how callous do we have to be to devote ourselves to gathering and hoarding wealth to the point where we exclude eternal things and won't help others fellow humans in their need see the reality is is the longer that we live a certain way the harder our hearts become look at this james never offers them salvation they're condemned even though they're still alive. See, it's never too late. And God does not ever give up on us. It's never too late, and God never gives up on us. But understand, we can give up on Him. I mean, think of the example of Pharaoh. You know, the longer we oppose God, the harder it is For us to come to him. They are told to weep and howl. Because they're too far gone. Oh repentance. Is still possible. But it's very highly unlikely. So let me. Let me try and and wrap this up. What James is attacking here. Is a life without. Without. Self-denial. You know, any general pattern of using our wealth that is only focused on ourselves or on our own pleasure, self-pleasure, that's sinful. That's what James is saying. We must learn to deny ourselves. We need to ask questions like this. What have we given up To support the work of the church, or of missions, or to care for the poor. Not what have we given, but what have we given up? What have we denied ourselves? What have we refrained ourselves in? See, if our spending and our Christian giving does not have a component of self-denial, then we're sinning even more so because of the huge needs in our world. This led me to to be thinking about this, and I was wondering how much money, how much of our wealth in just our congregation is thrown away on personal trivial things throughout the year? How much? I probably don't even want to know the number. What are we giving up in our giving? If we're never self-restraining, if we're never self-denying, then we're in sin. It's just that simple. No matter what our level of income is, if we're not denying ourselves from time to time, we're in sin. And frankly, the more that you have, the harder it is to deny yourself in that way. See, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning to to give up something in your giving. It's called sacrificial giving. To give like you've never given before. See, my challenge to each one of us is to lay up our treasure in heaven, not here on earth. Listen, Satan has a zillion ways to waste your money to keep you from investing in God's kingdom. And the truth of the matter is, is that you can live without giving. But you cannot love without giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. What a wonderful challenge to give, to give up in our giving. See, we are we planning some, some steps of faith this next year for our church. And we believe that the Lord is in that. And He's asking us to take these steps together, to, to each one do our part in that. And we believe that if He is in it, that He will provide for it. But He's going to provide through his people not through the government not through other sourcing but through the faithfulness of his people walking with him see understand what god is calling us to do oh it'll hurt i mean most of us have probably had a tough year of some sort some of us maybe without jobs some of us have been devastated, maybe in the market. Some of us have had changes in our employment. And God gives us an opportunity this year to sacrifice. To give up something in our giving. To give like it hurts, because it will. And I believe that that will tell us a whole lot about our own hearts see james has some strong words for us not just about our stewardship to the church but about the stewardship of everything that we have let's pray together loving father i thank you for this time and i thank you for your word And Father, I pray that you would lead us to give individually, personally, and as a church that we would give sacrificially. Father, I know that the the steps that you are asking us to take this next year and beyond are going to challenge us in every way and not the least financially. So, Father, I pray that you would help us, Father, to to tighten up our belt, Father, to deny ourselves, Father, to walk with you and to lean into that, Father, so that we could be a blessing to others, so that your, your gospel would go forth from this church, and, Father, that we would see a great harvest of souls, Father, that we would strap in and put on our crash helmets and be ready for what you have for us. Father, that we would not lazily walk into this next year, but Father, that we would be up and ready and dressed and primed and ready to to face the fight and the challenge that we have before us. Father, I pray that you would prepare your people to do just that. Father, we love you. We look forward to what you're going to do in each of our lives as we give sacrificially and unconditionally to our Savior and Lord's work in our world. Thank you for loving us so much.